eyes and look. You'll find whatever you're seeking in a magazine or book. There's books for him and books for her and books for you and me. You'll find good books for everyone at your library. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lauren's Library. I am your host, Lauren, and I am here to ramble about book stuff. So grab a seat, grab some coffee, grab a blanket, grab the steering wheel if you're driving, because I will not be paying for your accidents. But get comfortable, because we have a lot to talk about. And if you're new here, just wanted to give a special hello to you. Thanks for popping in. Now that you're here, you can't leave, okay? I'm sorry, those are the rules. I don't make them up. So here on episode 13 of Lauren's Library, I can't remember, but I feel like I, I gave the wrong episode number on the last one. I don't know. I'm old. It just work with me here. Um, but we're on episode 13. And on this episode, we'll be talking about a celebrity cannibal author, Goodreads versus Storygraph. And then we'll have the final installment of Retribution, which has been this story from the last two episodes. So yeah. Take a few seconds to gather yourself. I'll wait for you, I promise. Okay, so celebrity cannibal author, right? That's a wild title, I know. And the story itself is just as wild. Uh, so book talk this week was a little dry for news. And they're mostly still talking about the Kiara Lewis situation with the crack and hockey team. And I think they've even dragged the author of the pucking around. <laughs> the name is hilarious to me, but the, the pucking around hockey series into the mix. Cause I think that's how it started. She read that book or read that series and just fell in love with hockey. And then thus ensued the drama, blah, blah. But um, they've dragged the author of it into it. And I think it's a very silly situation, in my humble opinion. And I didn't want to cover it two episodes in a row. So I decided to branch out into a wider space for book news, okay? Okay, so this story combines two of my favorite topics to discuss, right? Books and true crime. And if any of you are true crime fans, which I know sounds really weird to say, but just don't, don't judge me, okay? But if you're true crime fans like me, you may have actually heard the story already. Um, if not, well then, hey, buckle up, buttercup, because this thing is wild. Um, I actually heard this story from Bailey Sarian, and I don't know if any of y'all know her, but she's my favorite true crime YouTuber. Um, she actually does her makeup while she talks about murder, which is kind of wild when you're explaining it to people that have never heard of it. But I mean, it it is what it is, okay? If you know, you know. And if you don't know, then now you know, all right? <laughs> So yeah, before I get started on this story, let me slap a little content warning, okay? Warning, the following content contains graphic descriptions of murder, cannibalism, and assault. If you're listening to this around your tiny humans, I suggest skipping to the next section and then coming back to this later. Or if you're eating, put the sandwich down while I talk about this. Just trust me, you'll you'll thank me later, okay? So, Issei Sagawa, or Sagawa, I'm really not sure what his name is. I'm going to call him Sakawa because there's, there's a lot of A's in it. 
but Issei Sagawa. Have you heard of him? Yes? No? Okay, well, it's actually an older story, but he died like November 2022. So I figured it was still kind of relevant enough to talk about. And plus, let me remind you, I just said I was going to bring y'all book news. I didn't say it was going to be current, but it's just going to be book news, right? Okay, so we're still, we're still on track here. <laughs> so, yes. He is a Japanese murderer, cannibal, and necrophiliac known for the murder of Rene Hartveld in Paris of 1981. And the most ridiculous part about this story to me, I mean, aside from the murder and cannibalism, um, is the fact that he was never jailed for this. Never in prison, right? Even though everybody knew what he did and he made no efforts to hide his crimes, didn't show not one lick of remorse, he remained a free man until his death at 73 years old. He died of pneumonia, which is just wild to me because like you do all this, this foolishness and you don't suffer any kind of consequences for it. Like you should have been under the jail, not even in it, just under it. But who am I? Okay. So in 1981, Sagawa was studying in Paris when he invited his friend Rene Hartfeld to his home under the guise of a study date, but with the true intentions of killing her. This was not her first time at his house, nor was it his first attempt at trying to hurt her. Um, he kept chickening out every time he invited her over. Like she would be reading poetry and he would be like standing behind her with a gun to her head and would just be too scared to pull the trigger, which is also just nuts because like she's just, you know, reading like poems like roses are red, violets are blue. And he's just standing with a gun behind her head. Like, <laughs> You, where are your instincts? <laughs> like your spidey senses didn't tingle. The hairs on the back of your neck didn't stand up. Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. Really? Okay. I'm not victim blaming. I'm just saying, okay. It, it's just wild. So he shot her in the head, in the back of the head, actually, during one of their study dates while she's reading poetry. And after he shot her, he raped her and then consumed parts of her body over a three-day time period. Um, when her remains became too decomposed, he attempted to dispose of her body by stuffing it into a suitcase and carrying it to a nearby park. And I remember listening to the story, and actually the cab driver that he called to take him to the park had to help him with the suitcase, and they just joked around like, ha ha ha, what, you got a body in here? You know, that little, that stupid little joke. But... Sagawa was actually just like, no, why, no, why would you think that? No. And it's wild that he made that joke, you know, just being corny. And it was actually 100% true. Yes, he did have a body in there. When he got to the park, he was spotted by tons of people because it's the full park. Like everybody is around. It's like the middle of the day. And they just see this little tiny Japanese man dragging this suitcase it's like bloody to the edge of the water. So of course they called the police. And as soon as the police were called, you know, they came and they were like, hey, what are you doing? And then he just confessed to everything. French medical experts deemed him unfit to stand trial in 1983. And he was held in a psychiatric institution for about a year until he was deported back to Japan. And then in Japan, he was deemed fit by authorities. But since they were unable to get his case files from the French police department, government, whatever, um, since they had already closed the case, he was able to walk free. And after being released, um, he became incredibly popular in, in Japan. Like he did numerous interviews, 2009 interview with Vice. 
He went into significant detail about his cannibalistic tendencies and desires. He admitted that he would bring prostitutes home almost every night and try to shoot them from behind while they were cleaning themselves off, but he could never work up the nerve to kill, to pull the trigger or to kill them. I watched a few interviews with him and he wasn't even remotely remorseful about any of it. Like, as a matter of fact, in the, like the weirdest instance of victim blaming ever, he says that he probably wouldn't have killed her if she just let him eat a part of her. He had said that he asked her if he could and she said no. Which, I mean, duh, why would she not say no? <laughs> I'm still confused as to how he thought that was even supposed to happen. Like, if she had said yes for some weird reason, was she like, supposed to slice a chunk out of her thigh and be like, hey, here you go. Maybe eat it with some potatoes. Here's some protein. Maybe a vegetable. Gotta get your greens in, you know? Like, I mean, how was that supposed to work? How was how that even going to be successful? Like, I, I don't understand. But according to him, the best part of the body to eat was actually the thigh, if you're curious. Um, he said that it tasted similar to pork and it was just a bit more bitter and slightly tougher. And he also claimed that other parts of the body melted in his mouth like raw tuna. And he claimed that French women taste buttery. This dude was a sicko, okay? Like, just nasty. And that's about as far into... The details of the case that I really want to go because I mean there are tons of details available if your morbid curiosity is kicked in and you want to know more um because he didn't hold anything back like he like I said when I say he did numerous interviews he was doing interviews all the time and he did not spare any details so if you want to know more details about the case you're more than welcome to look it up but that's all I'm going to add about that part okay just to give you an idea of who he was and what he did okay so, um, unfortunately, the pictures of Renee's body are actually available on the internet as well. And my dumb tail was feeling real, just, I guess, curious about like the seriousness of it, I guess. I don't know, as if reading the details wasn't enough. Um, so I went and looked at the pictures and I'm not proud of myself for that because I was nauseous for about two days. Like, I don't suggest you look at it. I really don't. Anyway, I said all that to say that after he was released from the psychiatric facility, he went on to reach celebrity status in Japan. He wrote a series of horror, I can never say that word right, horror, 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 I don't know, horror, <laughs> manga books or manga. I don't know how you pronounce that either. I don't know how to pronounce these words. I probably should have like figured this out before I did this episode, but I didn't. Anyway, he did a series of those books that depicted the murder and he published a sort of memoir called In the Fog, where he goes into excruciating detail about the murder and eating her flesh. And I think that book is actually on Goodreads. It's available for purchase, although it's very rare and not cheap when you do find it. But you can find it if you search hard enough. They didn't print a whole bunch of copies. You know, I mean, judging from the material. But it is out there if you search for it. But you're going to pay a pretty penny for it. On Goodreads, is sitting at like a three-star rating, which is um, kind of amusing. It's actually been review-bombed a few times. And even though I did a whole segment about how you shouldn't review-bomb, I think this one is a valid exception to that rule. I think I think we can overlook it for this one. And like I said, to me, it's completely like insane that he was able to commit such a horrible crime and then go free. And not only that, he was able to profit off of it. Like, I feel so bad for the family of the victim to know that their daughter's murderer was just walking the earth free as a bird 
after everything he had done and you know is just not suffering any kind of consequences is actually making a whole career out of it it's like starring in porn where he bites the actors you know as like a parody of what he did like it's just ridiculous to me and if you want more detail like i said you can search it on youtube um or you can google it tons of videos exist um he did a number of interviews because like i said he was not the least bit sorry he was actually very proud of it matter of fact when he was doing the interviews he would say that every time he saw another woman he would just be like oh i bet she tastes good just (laughs) and was complaining about how it was very hard for him to find a job because of what he had done which i mean that should be the least of your worries because you should be in prison but since he wasn't that is the story of Issei Sagawa or Sagawa it's it's a very upsetting case I listen to a lot of true crime and there are very few cases that really 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 bother me but this is definitely at the top of the list it's this man was sick sorry about that didn't want to ruin your day but you know that's it yeah he's out well he's not out there he's dead now but this happened and he wrote a book about it and he profited from it. In the meantime, we're going to mosey on over to the next segment, which is going to be Goodreads versus Storygraph. And I'll give you a few seconds to get the taste of that story out of your mouth, no pun intended. And go on ahead, you know, we'll, I'll be here when you get back. Go on ahead. Okay, so I made the mistake of assuming that every reader knows about websites like Goodreads, and my apologies on that, but um, a quick rundown of what it is. Um, It's a website where you can track your reading goals, post reviews, add a TBR, which is a to-be-read list, and you can enter or even host giveaways if you're an author. Basically, it's a one-stop shop for all things books. I did a segment a few episodes ago about how people were review bombing certain books on Goodreads because they allow you to review pretty much whatever you want. Um, And because of that, some people think the website does more harm than good. But I mean, it's out there. So it's currently owned by Amazon and Amazon does not let you post reviews until the book has actually been published. So... I think that might be why people get so upset about it because you can post a review to, a review about a book before it's actually on the shelf. It can like amass all of these negative reviews before it even gets put out there and then, you know, drag the rating down on Goodreads. But anyway, um, it's currently owned by Amazon, which is no surprise. Pretty sure Amazon owns everything at this point. And if it doesn't, it's on its way. Um, but for a while, Goodreads was the only one where you could, you know, do all the book stuff, like um, look at all the new books coming out or review a book or add it to your list, that kind of thing. It was pretty much the only place you could do that until about January of 2021 when Storygraph popped up on the scene. And at that time, it was kind of hard to form an opinion about it because it was still new and it was still, you know, working out the kinks, working out the bugs, adding new features, all that good stuff. But now that it's been active for a few years, I think we could probably form an opinion. Um, I use both websites because, I mean, who doesn't love options, you know? (laughs) And because I have a short attention span and I get bored with one website and just switch to the other one. Um, But just in case you were interested in being more intentional about tracking your reading, I figured I would give you my opinion on both of them and we can go from there. So Goodreads is pretty simple to navigate. 
Um, they have places for book discussions. They allow you to create book lists, like I was saying, and track your currently reading and your um, to be read list or your want to read. Um, you can name the list, whatever you want to name it. Um, and the database of books is constantly growing. So you're likely to find even like the most obscure books up there, no matter how obscure. Because there was a few silly books that I read at the beginning of the year and they were on Goodreads too. I kind of wonder if since it's owned by Amazon, they have a way to like just automatically put it up there if it's on Amazon. I need to look into that. But um, Goodreads has giveaways almost all the time for popular books and less popular books. And then there are tons of users, users that you can connect with and even small groups that you can become a part of. It has like a whole entire community that you can pretty much build a large following on. Like you can comment on people's reviews and talk about how you agree or disagree, whatever. Um, it's like Facebook, but emphasis on the book part. Less on the face, more on the book. <laughs> and there are reading challenges. And one of the things I mostly use Goodreads for is to keep track of how many books I've been reading over the year and set a goal for how many books I do want to read. Um, overall, Goodreads is a fun site to use when you want to be able to keep track of the books and maybe find out what your friends are reading and meet new people, blah, blah. But in my very humble opinion, Storygraph is where it's at, okay? I honestly forgot I had Storygraph. I'm just going to be honest. For a little while, I forgot I had it. So it's not as thoroughly put together as my Goodreads is, but I'm working on it. Like I spent the week updating it and adding the books that I've read and whatnot. And what I love the most about Storygraph is the fact that everything is so detailed, like down to the ability to give a book a half a star, which is something that Goodreads has not yet added. So like when you're on Goodreads looking at the reviews, sometimes you'll see like, oh, I gave this book 2.5 stars rounded up. So they gave it technically three stars or um, two stars um, rounded down or something like that. Like you, they people say that in the review because Goodreads does not allow them the ability to give like half a star. But on Storygraph, you can give half a star. You can give 0.75 of a star. Like they, they are not playing when it comes to the details of the reviews. Like we can get this down to the nub, okay? <laughs> and then another thing that I really like is like when you're adding the book to your read list and you know you're telling the um site when you read it like when you finished it and whatnot it asks you whether or not the book was character or plot driven it also asks if the character development was on point and it asks if the characters were lovable it asks what kind of theme you would give it um it gives a spot for trigger warnings and for things that other readers think you might need to watch out for when you are partaking in a particular book and then it offers a space to write a review. So it's like super detailed down to the very smallest, minutest of details. Like, I, and I really like that. It makes everything so much easier when you're trying to decide what you want to read next. And then it has recommendations. And those recommendations are pretty spot on. Like if you fill out Storygraph and like tell the books that you read, tell the books that you like to read, that kind of thing, it will give you some pretty spot on recommendations, which is dope. And then we have the stats. And I absolutely love, 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 love the stats. Okay. And I'll give you a little sneak peek of what my stats are for the year so far. Um, as of today, I have read or listened to at least 83 books, according to Storygraph. It's actually more than that. Some of them aren't available on Storygraph yet. And I got a little too busy and a little too lazy to add them. So it cut out a few of them, but we'll just talk about the ones that I was able to put up there. So out of the 83 books that I've read, which is 28,702 pages, um, 
it has a pie chart with the moods of the books that I've read. Like, and most of them fall under the emotional or reflective categories with mysterious and dark and tense being the other categories that were most popular for me. And if you click on the color, it actually brings up the specific books that I read that fall under that category. So when you go on yours and you update yours, you click on the books, like you click on the color, it'll show you the exact books that fall under that category. Then there's pie charts for pacing and page numbers and then nonfiction versus fiction and then the format, like whether you read it on ebook or paperback or audiobook. And it also shows which authors that I have read the most and the average rating of my reviews. Like baby Storygraph has detail. It's giving detail. Okay. So if you're like me and you love like nerding out about stuff like that, then I suggest Storygraph over Goodreads. But I mean, you may have to add a book every now and then, but to me, that seems like a small price to pay for such a detailed description of your reading habit. And then matter of fact, like when y'all go on a date, y'all can pull up your story graph, be like, bro, or ma'am, whatever. Um, show me what you really like. Let me see your personality through your reading habits. Like, let me see your personality through your book. Boom. You can pull up their pie charts and you can look at their graphs and really get a feel for who you're dealing with. You know, in a perfect world, that would be a really good dating like criteria. Huh, I wonder if I can make a story out of that. Okay, anyway, if you really don't care about all of that and you're just trying to like log your books and go, then, you know, Goodreads. Like you can just add your books to the red pile or to the to be red pile and just keep it pushing. Either way, I mean, I think both sites have their pros and cons, like everything does. But if I had to choose, it would be Storygraph like all day, okay? So which one do you guys use? Let me know. I'll put a poll at the end of this so you can vote and tell me which one you like more or which one you're gonna use. And you know, I'm really excited to see what you guys think. Also, I have a quick announcement before we get into the short story section. My debut novel is coming out in the next few months, which is exciting. Also nervous, help me. <laughs> but um, I am on the hunt for some ARC readers. And the story is about a couple struggling with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. And it's also a story about love. Um, so if you can relate, like if you've ever had a family member or somebody that you know and care about that was struggling with Alzheimer's, please reach out to me. And I would love to have you read, you know, the arc of this book and give me your opinion on it. Um, you can reach out to me on my Instagram or you can email me at thebookiebabeblog at gmail.com. And remember that's bookie with a Y. So it's T-H-E-B-O-O-K-Y-B-A-B-E-B-L-O-G at gmail.com. And then let me know. But be gentle because I'm fragile. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's slide on into the final installment of Retribution, okay? Boom. Okay, tell me again what you saw. My wife rubbed a tired hand over her face. I sighed. We had been over this story so many times, but it still didn't make much sense. I saw our neighbor, that Molly girl, dragging what looked to be a dead body across the woods that separates our houses. I began. Valerie nodded. But the things that are buried in those woods never stay dead. She sighed heavily. And you know this to be true. 
how. I've seen it with my own eyes, I replied. I had gone hunting in those woods countless times. It's a phenomenon that I hadn't been able to explain, but had seen unfold in front of me over and over again. If something gets buried in the soil in those woods, it doesn't stay dead. Not physically, anyway. It regenerates in a weird way that leaves the original carcass where it was, but then another version pops up. I've seen it happen when I buried our dog in the woods after she passed. The original body stayed buried, but it was almost as if another version had copied and pasted itself on my doorstep. I almost screamed when I made the trek back home just to see her waiting for me on our front porch, tail wagging as if nothing had happened. I told Valerie that I bought another dog that just happened to look exactly like the one I had buried because I couldn't wrap my mind around what had happened. I still can't. I have been Googling, trying to find out how this was even possible, but so far, regenerating soil doesn't come up with the results that explain any of this. I had been in the woods almost daily, burying dead animals and watching them respawn not too far away. We won't get too deep into the discussion on how I located all these dead animals, but I mean, I needed them for research and we'll just leave it at that. I had been hunting for something else to test it out on when I saw Molly dragging a man's body into the woods. Any normal person would probably have called the police, but I was curious to see if it would work on humans. It did. I watched in morbid horror and fascination as the man respawned almost immediately after Molly had left. The man coughed up a good amount of dirt and then looked around in confusion, probably wondering how he got there. His movements were choppy and stiff, like he was trying to get used to having limbs. I had taken a step forward with the intention of trying to help him out, but then I froze. If Molly, who had seemed so harmless and friendly every time I spoke to her, wanted this man dead, it wasn't my place to interfere with that. He stumbled forward once, twice, three times, and then rolled his shoulders and continued on as if nothing had happened. The original corpse was still poorly buried in the ground. The tip of the shoe poked out from the shallow hole Molly had dug. I had so many questions. Did Molly know about the dirt? Maybe she didn't actually want him dead. Maybe she was purposely trying to bring him back. Is that why she buried this man in the woods so close to her home? Maybe, maybe she could explain what was going on. I blinked, not realizing I had zoned out of the conversation with Valerie. She was staring at me as if I had grown an extra head. I couldn't say that I was surprised by this. I wouldn't have believed any of it either had I not seen it happen in front of me. Anderson, are you drunk? She asked. I shook my head. Hi, maybe? No, Valerie. I'm sober. I'm telling you the truth. This makes no sense. I, I need to see some type of proof, she said, crossing her arms over her chest. I nodded over at our dog, Akira, who's wagging her tail happily. There's your proof right there, I said. Valerie's brows drew together in confusion. What are you talking about? She glanced from me to Akira, then back at me as realization dawned on her. Are you trying to tell me that this is a different dog? This is our dog? A dog that died six months ago? Why else would we be calling her the same name? I asked. I thought you just had an unhealthy attachment to the first Akira. How was I supposed to know you raised the dog from the dead? I didn't do it. The dirt did it. She stared at me for a moment, so many expressions fighting for control over her face. I waited patiently. I knew this was a lot to take in. Parts of it still made no sense to me either, like how this version of Akira seemed to know that the woods were special. Whenever we got close, she would growl and bark and shrink away as if she knew there was something unexplainable in there waiting for her. Or how she would periodically cough up clumps of dirt and clay, 
or how sometimes she would become aggressive and vicious, determined to kill whatever she could get her teeth on. A German shepherd with murder in their eyes is a terrifying sight. As I waited for Valerie to catch up, I feared it would take too long for her to finally accept what I was telling her. And I wanted to talk to Molly, just to see if she knew what was happening in the woods. All right, you haven't lied to me before, so I guess I'll take your word for it. But you have one chance to make me look stupid and I will never believe another word out of your mouth, Valerie said. Akira barked as if to agree. When we reached Molly's house, she was just pulling into the driveway. We pulled our car up behind hers and got out. She seemed so preoccupied that she didn't notice us walking up. Hey, Molly, I said casually. The sound of my voice made her jump comically high in the air. Valerie said nothing. Her skepticism bounced off of her in waves. Anderson, oh my god, you scared me, Molly huffed, clutching her chest. Uh, what can I help you with? What can you tell us about the magical dirt? Valerie blurted. I shot an exasperated glance at her. I had been hoping we could ease into the conversation since Molly looked ready to duck and run at any moment. She looked from Valerie back to me, confusion apparent on her face. Magic dirt? She smiled nervously. I'm sorry, but I really don't know what you're talking about. Look, I started, stepping closer. I saw you drag that man into the woods, and I just wanted to know if you knew he would regenerate. In all my years of living, I have never seen a black woman grow this pale this quickly. Molly went white as a sheet and swallowed thickly. Regenerate? She squeaked. Dang, I guess she didn't know. But then, if she didn't know he would come back, then that means... Wait, you didn't know? So you wanted to kill him? The realization made me nauseous. Look, you don't understand, okay? He hurt my daughter. I had to. Molly glanced around, acting as if she was scared someone was listening. So what do you what do you mean by regenerate? Did he Is he Is he alive? she asked. Probably. There's something weird happening in the woods. If you bury something dead in the soil, it regenerates a new copy. I felt ridiculous explaining it out loud. It had given me hope, thinking that maybe she could explain what was happening, but judging from the mortified look on her face, I was the only one that knew about it. Is he... is he gonna be dangerous? She asked, tears welling up in her eyes. Only if he coughs up the dirt. We have a dog that does it, and she gets the most aggressive after coughing it up. I shrugged. Molly's eyes grew wide. Oh my god, she whispered, her voice hoarse. I have to get to my sister. Clark. I woke up in the middle of the night with an eerie feeling in the pit of my stomach. I had gone to sleep after Molly left without saying much to Kendrick. I was still irritated that he was even here, but I had decided to deal with it in the morning. I'd call in sick at work and get to the bottom of whatever was going on. But from the moment I closed my eyes, nightmares plagued my sleep. The bed was empty and the spot where Kendrick usually slept was cold. I touched his pillow, sighing softly to myself. Deep down, even though he still irritated me and pissed me off with how much he kept betraying me, I still loved him. Even if he had cheated on me more times than I could count. I wanted to call out to him to see if he would just lay down with me for a bit. Maybe we could talk it out. A slight noise to my left caught my attention, and when I turned to see what it was, a strangled scream left my throat. Kendrick stood next to the bed, watching me. The look in his eyes was enough to send fear coursing through my veins. Kendrick, you scared me. What are you doing? I hissed. 
He tilted his head to the side, and the smile that spread across his face was unnatural. His skin was grayish in the pale light of the moon. He looked... dead. Clark. His voice was hoarse and scratchy. He coughed, and a glob of dirt fell from his lips. He stared at it for a moment, like he couldn't believe he was seeing it. And then he lunged. I scrambled away as quickly as I could, but he still managed to grab me around the neck. I coughed and spluttered, my feet kicking wildly under me. This is your fault, he moaned. His voice was no longer recognizable. His eyes sinister and evil. I no longer recognized this man. Kendrick had always had issues, but this was different. I'd never seen him like this before. His grip around my neck tightened, squeezing the last bit of air out of my lungs. I didn't want to die, but I didn't see a way out of this. Molly had been right. Something was wrong with Kendrick. But now, it's too late. Kendrick! Kendrick, please! I gasped, scraping at his hands. The nails dug into his skin, but he didn't seem to notice. Tears pricked at the corner of my eyes as I struggled and kicked, desperate for air. A loud bang pierced the silence, and then Kendrick's grip immediately loosened. I gulped in as much air as I could as I scrambled to put distance between us. I vaguely registered his body dropping to the floor in a heap. Molly stood in the doorway, a gun pointed in his direction. Clark, are you all right? She asked, not taking her eyes off of him. I wanted to cry, but instead I just nodded with a hand against my throat. I had never been so happy to see my sister in my life. I wanted to throw my arms around her neck and sob, but my body wouldn't move. I dared to glance at Kendrick, preparing myself for the blood. But there was none. He was on his back, with a hole in his forehead. There was not one drop of blood to be seen. I stared, unable to process what I was looking at. Molly? I asked, looking up at her. She slumps against the bed and placed her head in her hands. That's not Kendrick, she said quietly. Well, I mean, it is, but it's not the original Kendrick. It's a copy. What are you talking about? I asked. When she looked back up at me, she had tears in her eyes. I killed the original Kendrick and buried his body in the woods behind my house. You... What? Clark, I had to. He assaulted Sienna. My baby. He swallowed and then winced. My throat was sore from the iron grip Kendrick had just had on my throat. Hearing that he had assaulted my niece made my stomach roil, but sadly I wasn't surprised. Kendrick had issues, like I said. Serious issues. I glanced at his body, and it had only been a few minutes, but he seemed to be decomposing a lot faster than normal. His skin was sallow and saggy. His joints looked rigid and stiff. I'm sorry. To my surprise, I reached out to grab her hand. It felt weird to be bonding with my sister over my dead husband. But if I'm honest, I missed her. I had wasted so much time hating her over a man that didn't deserve it at the end of the day. So, uh, what are we going to do? I asked. We'll need to get rid of the body, she replied, matter-of-factly. Do you know how to do that? I thought I did, she snorted. We'll have to get a little more creative. She helped me to my feet and then wrapped her arms around me in the first hug from her that I actually welcomed. So, he's a copy? I asked. I wasn't sure if it was the shock or sheer exhaustion that made the information float around in my head without sticking. 
Molly sighed heavily and placed the gun in the waistband of her jeans. Her brown skin was flushed and slightly pink. I felt embarrassed. After treating her the way I had for so long, she still came to my rescue. She always came to my rescue. Yes, the original is still in the woods behind my house. Sounds like you have a lot to fill me in on, I said, looking at her. Yeah, I do. Let me start from the beginning. And that's all we have time for today. Let me know what you guys think. Head over to my blog at www.thebookiebabe.com and poke around a little bit. Read some stuff, write some stuff. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. You can follow, like, or leave a message at Lawrence Library Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me posting detailed reviews on the bookie babe underscore Instagram and TikTok. Well, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. If you go up there, you'll probably notice that I haven't posted on any of them in a while. (laughs) I'm still there. Bear with me. Posting on social media is like a full-time job and you girl be tired, bro. I be tired, but I'm, I'm, I'm still there. Don't give up on me. Don't unfollow me. Don't be like, Ooh, she's not active. And like, you know, delete me. I'm still there. I promise. Don't leave me. (laughs) But anyway, I said all that to say, if you want to say hello, there are multiple ways to contact me. So take your pick one way or another. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye guys. (laughs) 